Welcome to Conversations With. My name is Shaley Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar 2 Disorder. Sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. Sharing our stories will educate others, bring more understanding, shed more light and smash more stigma. Our voices need to be heard. Our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone and welcome back to This is Bipolar. I am your host, Shaylee Hugendorn. If you haven't been here before, I am a mom. I am a wife. I am an elementary school substitute teacher and I am a mental health advocate that lives with bipolar 2 disorder. And today I am doing a solo episode. Um, I do these once in a while just to spice things up a little. Also, so that I don't actually talk more than my guests. And today um, I wanted to talk to you about parenting. A lot of people ask me about parenting and pregnancy and um, having children. So I have thought up a few things to share. I am putting together a parenting panel. So right now submissions are open for folks that want to send in requests to be on the podcast, whether you have babies or um, littles or big kids love to put together a panel. And what I was thinking is that I have a lot of things to say about it. So I should probably record one with my thoughts so that I don't end up being the panelist that talks the most. So here we are. Before we get started, I wanted to invite you to something new and exciting forever and ever and ever. I was talking about a Patreon, but something cooler has happened. I've been offered subscriptions on Instagram, which means that you subscribe and it is $6.99 US a month and you get extra content. There is an extra 20, 15 to 20 minutes up to 40 minutes of extra content of each and every guest episode of something that we didn't talk about in the um, public podcast. It is a exclusive subscribers only. I am going to be doing a live there that is only for subscribers um, every two weeks. And hopefully we will be able to go deeper together and spend more time together and just be uh, greater to uh, support for each other. So please sign up. If this podcast means anything to you, sign up, subscribe, like. I would love, love, love to have you there. There are already some folks in there and we're having some cool conversations. So you would jump in and there would already be things there. If you are someone that is like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I would love to see the extra content, but I am not into it. I am not public that I live with bipolar disorder, mood disorders, or mental illness, but I'm very curious. You can just hang out. You don't ever have to engage or do other things. It's all up to you how much you want to be involved. But some people I know are just signing up just to support and um, look at the content once in a while. So I thank you to other folks that have signed up already. I hope that you will join me there and support me. It means the absolute world to me. All right, let us get started. So parenting with bipolar disorder. 
So first of all, I wanted to go back to pregnancy. A lot of people ask me about that. So I was not diagnosed when I was pregnant. When I was trying um, both pregnancies, I have two daughters. Right now they are 16 and one's turning 18 at the end of the month. So I have medium big kids, almost adults. And so just so you get an idea of timeline. So when I was, I have wanted to be a mom my whole life. I've just, I'm just a kid person. I'm an elementary school teacher. I, you can find me at most of things, family playing with the kiddos, sitting at the kid table. I knew this was something I wanted. So I had had, I had been teaching full time almost, almost two years. And I just knew my husband and I had been married, I think four years and um, I wanted to get started. Something my mom had said once had always kind of stuck with me. She had kids young as well. And so she always thought that she really wanted um, her children to have time with their grandparents. And I know we don't know how long of time we have with our parents, um, but I wanted my kids to be able to know my parents really well and have a close relationship with their grandparents. And also I just had this idea in my head and I know you shouldn't make timelines, but that I would be finished having kids by the time I was 30. So I was like this goal thing. So I was pumped when I started thinking I was reading all the books. I was thinking about timing. I was trying to time it to go back to teaching. Maybe I could, uh, you know, only have to take off certain time because at that time, there was no way that I was staying home. Stay tuned. I stayed home. Um, and so I, yeah, I was really pumped. And at that time I had started doing hot yoga about the Bikrams one, um, about like six months, maybe more before I started that. And I was in bipolar fashion all in. So I was going uh, two times a week, sometimes three and closer to trying uh, four times a week. And so it's like an hour and a half. And it's if you've ever done, it's the hardest exercise I've ever done. It's the sweating is amazing, but it I'm not sure if it was that or the excitement about thinking about getting pregnant, but I was pretty elevated. And that looked like me going more, me being elevated in the classroom. I had all the ideas. I was doing super cool things with the kids. I was always talking about getting pregnant. And I know my mom and some of my aunties were like, okay, but you know, sometimes it takes a while. But I was convinced that it wouldn't, wouldn't take very long. And so um, I also had this kind of messed up body things, um, which I realize now has completely came along with the depression and disorder. When I am depressed, I have binge eating disorder. And so that looks like um, restricting and then like eating till I was sick, but then I didn't actually throw up and fluctuating so much. And then the months that I was hypomanic, I would shed all the weight that I lost in the winter time because I'm very cyclical and I would, um, you know, forget to eat or eat way less because uh, I was busy and I was so active and moving. And so my idea was because I was doing the hot yoga, I was probably in the best shape I'd ever been. And mentally that 
fall, I actually didn't get depressed. And the only thing I was doing different was um, the hot yoga. And I think that's it. Yeah, I wasn't taking medication at the time. And for anything, because I had taken medication for depression and anxiety before and then after this. And so, yeah, we started trying. It's the second month of preggers. And um, I was, you know, ecstatic, except then I started getting really sick. I was nauseous every moment of every day, almost four months. And it was so intense and trying to teach that. And I taught kids specifically the entire school was kids with learning disabilities. And so it was a lot of needs and it was intense. And I would work like 10, 11 hours a day. And I was just exhausted. I would come home and I would like literally sleep until dinner, have dinner and go back to sleep because we know when we're growing a human that it takes a lot of energy. And so um, I started to, you know, slip a bit into what I would probably call like a low grade depression. I was really irritable. I was even irritable with like my bosses at work. I lived in a I worked in a really small school, like really small um, private school for kids with learning disabilities and didn't have a lot of substitute teachers because there was only three actual teachers and then a whole bunch of tutors that did uh, specific phonics teaching and so I needed to call in sick some days and I just couldn't because there would be no one to cover and I remember specifically getting really irritated and agitated and not expressing this kindly to the principals and owners of the school. So that was embarrassing. And I look back now and it was, you know, a lot to do with being in a depression. I immediately that night after I had been frustrated with them, I realized that I probably could have handled that differently. After the initial three, four months, I was fine. I was, I, I didn't care what I ate. I wasn't focused on weight anymore so I didn't I wasn't binging and it was just really really great the rest of my pregnancy was you know I didn't love it I never loved being pregnant but there wasn't um, huge huge complications and then the middle part I had my kids are almost two years apart I think they're 23 months apart and um, the in between the two was hard because when I got pregnant the second time, it was when my daughter was 15 months old. So she was still nursing and I was sick again and I just had to stop the nursing. I was completely overwhelmed with feeling sick. It was very hard to, to take care of her. I remember as soon as my husband got home, I would just like pass him the baby or be like, you're it. I had called my mom who lived out of town to come and stay several weeks, a bunch of the times that I needed because I just, I couldn't barely eat anything. It was just awful, but I did make it, you know, fun for my kid. And um, she probably didn't notice too much because we had this really fun game called Sick Mummy on the Couch. And she would watch Dora and other shows and I would uh, lie on the couch and I would buy like a whole bunch of gifts from the dollar store and wrap them up and then like pass them to her when I was like half asleep to entertain her so she probably would remember it as a fun time but it was sick mommy on the couch was not fun and during that time um I had five months into having my first I like panicked I panicked at the thought of going um back to work and having 
her at daycare, I was so loving being a mom. I was really into it. In fact, after both children thought it was postpartum anxiety or depression because it was something um, after having kids. And so that's what maybe the doctor was saying. But looking back now, I know it was hypomania or maybe a small form of rapid cycling. I did, wasn't sleeping. I was so excited. I oh, like when the you're supposed to sleep when the baby sleeps. No, I remember one night I was up half the night. I decided to take out every single thing out of every single cupboard and rearrange the kitchen. Not normal behavior on top of nursing all the time and um, being the main caregiver. And that was intense. And then I would um, crash a little bit after. I also really struggled with how to, I really struggled with feeling like I was doing the right thing, right? I had all the magazines. I had, went to the baby classes and I would just get so upset because it was just too much. It was, you know, I was trying doing baby sign language and then all of a sudden, guess what? Now I became an instructor. I would do like sign up for all the classes where the kids, you would weigh the kids, you would, they would tell you, you know, all the foods you weren't supposed to teach them. It was all these professionals, but they just made the standards seem impossible. And I know that the weight of that was really, really hard on on me and I would you know stay up at night for hours and hours you know trying to think about the best way to do something right I remember when we started solids oh my gosh it was so, I made it into such a big deal like what we could do and what we couldn't do um, and then once I would decide then there would be some times where I would be to totally fine like I had a lot of times with the kids and even to this day uh periods of euthymia which means um symptom free and so one of the things that i did notice is i'm an extreme extrovert and i think that it's a combo of that um and the bipolar disorder that made it impossible for me to stay at home i call myself a stay-at-home mom that never stayed home i think looking back now i was so afraid to be alone because when I was alone, I would worry that I was doing the wrong thing, or I was, you know, not playing with my kid enough, not reading with my kid enough, even though I think, as an elementary school teacher, like, I overdid it, like I was playing a lot. I do remember, though, being very paranoid, but like, sticking up for myself like I felt judged in a lot of ways and I felt for some reason I got this idea that I was really judged at church especially for the breastfeeding right there's always like purity culture and all these things and everybody you know I had a cover and it's not like I was being inappropriate but I know that not for, they had a nursing room and I would get all I was really upset about that I didn't want to be tucked away in a corner I didn't think it was fair I would get all riled up about that and at that time we were in a small group bible study and they would ask me if I had to feed her to go like in another room because they didn't want their husbands to possibly see you know if my breast nipple came fell out that it might be like a temptation or something ridiculous and that infuriated me so I despite them being my good friends I bailed and they didn't have children yet and I just felt like they didn't get it
And so um, you look back now and there was a lot of overreactions there. Um, did they have basis for me thinking those things? Yes, but I made them like into such, such a big deal. I also, I didn't really want to be alone that much. So um, I was talking to another friend and she was talking about how going out was overwhelming, getting the baby ready, what people thought. Um, I loved that part. I was literally up and out of the house, full face makeup, cute outfit, baby in the cutest outfits, of course. I'm doing things. I joined every group that there was, like there's a yeah, I just joined everything. I literally would plan something with someone in the morning and the afternoon. And my daughter learned, my first daughter learned to nap everywhere and anywhere. And I look back now and I think, yeah, I think I was afraid to be alone. In fact, even before years and years, I, I don't, I don't enjoy um, being alone now. I love my alone time, but then I didn't know. And I didn't think I needed it, which clearly I did because there wasn't a lot of time for any grace for myself or relaxation or anything like that. And so the years were, you know, super fun. Um, also riddled with like hyper anxiety, which is a lot different than like a fear. Like I didn't have a fear my baby would stop breathing or I didn't have fears. Mine were more like, am I doing this right kind of thing? And, um, very much outside of the house, making, you know, sure that I looked like I was, you know, doing things right or that I had it together. I would hang out with this new group that I had met at my church that had babies too, that just got it. And that really, really helped when I talk about my uh, tips, I would definitely talk about community because I realized what was normal and I could tell the truth in those spaces. And Soon we were like tired of going to each other's houses. We started, uh, we founded a group, a mom's group at the church where it wasn't just those other groups where we went and um, played with our kids with other people. I was like, I can play with my kids at home. I want to visit moms. So the, it was, we would go to the nursery at the church, put the toys out and basically let the kids play and us moms would talk it became quite popular um also because I do circle time and I know songs and books we would have time and I would uh host that but yeah here I was uh with a baby and a toddler and then during my pre second pregnancy like running a group like just running myself into the ground but loving it and I think that's where the hypomania came in because I didn't get tired of it and in fact um with my second I would organize once a month uh, a cool activity. We would get babysitters and then we would uh, do a cool activity. And this was back when scrapbooking was cool. I'm showing my age, like with actual paper and glue and stuff and stamps. Anyways, I had planned one for a Saturday. So I had had my second baby on Thursday and I hosted that on Saturday. There was no staying home for this gal. And so, yeah, I still continued to do that through their entire toddler times. In fact, we even made the group like more intense and doing more cool things. And sometimes we'd have up to like 25 moms and usually they had multiple children. So it was a lot, but loved it. I love stuff like that. I loved getting involved in everything. So I don't have social anxiety so when we have the other parents hopefully someone can speak to that but I did not have social anxiety it was like the opposite of it 
<laughs> and so that was then when my oh also we lived in like a 900 square foot townhouse so it was a lot the toys were always out there was it was hard to keep it like super tidy and organized which is what I try to do don't look at my closets that's where I put everything but I like things to you know to be uh kind of neat and organized which was impossible in that small of a space and so uh, my second came along I was still doing the same thing when my second was like one and a half that's when the cycle started again where I would get depressed in the winter because I think the first years of them I, I I didn't have huge depressions but I went back to having the deep deep darkness in the winters and so basically I would hold it together for the kids still go out still do all the things um but I was pretty numb during it. I didn't enjoy it as much as I used to. The kids could always make me laugh and smile. So that really helped. They were never as dark as they were before. I didn't have a ton of suicidal ideation, but I did feel like maybe I could sleep until it would be, you know, better. Cause I knew that I would eventually snap out of it and snap into something else. I thought the hypomania was like the real me that I was like buzzing and that I had a high vibration which I actually do but this was beyond me and hypomania so I started feeling like that again and then the anxiety was going up and I was getting irritable and so I did things where um, I would take things that I enjoyed over the top so I did huge themed birthday parties huge and where I would like transform the space. I would do it actually at my friend's mom's house. So she was so lovely, let us do it there. And um, cause it was bigger, my place was too small. And I would like, she had so many rooms and we would just decorate them all. I had like a castle for the princess one. Um, but generally I would just go, go, go. And then usually the day before the morning of, I, I would, uh freak out somehow probably most likely at my husband I remember the night before the princess party I was like I cannot make the cake I had things to make like castle cake with like turrets and like fancy fancy things and I broke down I couldn't my husband actually made it he did probably a better job than me but I would push for these things to be so perfect that actually only enjoy like a few like the actual party but then I would usually crash afterwards um especially by my second um the second birthday which is uh, in the end of November and by then I would just crash until Christmas and it was it was really hard it was hard on the family I couldn't just do things you know just do nothing was ever good enough it always had to be better better and I remember when um, the anxiety was just, I got anxious about potty training or I'd get anxious about those things that, you know, the timing wasn't right or I had to do, you know, do it a certain way. And when I was hypomanic, I remember I made this like intense program that I was going to do. And I made like this huge poster board of chart where she could put stickers and then get a prize. And, and not that it wasn't awesome, but it was like, I would go so overboard that I would bail on it like a week or so later because it would be so rigid. All winter I went in and I 
we actually brought it to my doctor and said, hey, I think I might be living with bipolar disorder. You know, I really relate to a lot of these things. And then, of course, he was like thinking I was a Google doctor. And so was like, nope, you wouldn't be able to take care of your kids. You wouldn't have your education degree. You wouldn't be able to hold it together if you had bipolar disorder. So we threw that out the window and he gave me an antidepressant and off I went. Then I started to get more hyper again and hyper and hyper. Um, and you can go and listen to what happened with all of that and the crash and how the medicine antidepressant that my doctor gave me as he upped it, it made me more and more hypomanic until go to back to the hypomanic and pre-diagnosis episodes at the very beginning. And you can hear the rest of that story. But I went away and I was diagnosed. I was away from the kids for a week uh, my mom came down and I, I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder and um, it took a long time to want even when I came back home I wasn't hospitalized I was in this space place where you could go for the in-between like if you were weaning off medicines and things like that so they could observe you because they didn't know I wasn't sick enough to be in the psych ward, but also they, you know, I was like, I don't want to go home. I want to figure this out once and for all. I can't live like this anymore. I felt horrible, of course, because I had run away. We had missed this huge wedding that we were supposed to go to. And um, I thought maybe I ruined my kids. They don't even remember. And I kind of hid out. So we weren't doing our normal activities. And my daughter was supposed to be going to kindergarten in the fall, and I was just distraught about that. Even before I went in, um, I, were we going to put her in French immersion? That's what we had her signed up for. But then I was like, maybe I need to homeschool. I'm a teacher. Obviously, I should homeschool. I could do it awesome. But then I knew she needed um, kids, and she did had done a couple hours of preschool. And in, this was even when it was only half days. And then just to be apart from her, I just was beside myself. And at this point, I was still trying to get better on the new medicine. And I convinced that we were going to move to like this tiny, teeny tiny island of like, with, it was very hippie island, uh, a place where kids were like unschooled, not just like homeschooled, like unschooled. I just agonized over that decision and I cried so many tears. And also when I was getting better and getting up to the dose that helped, um, there was a lot of anger and I wouldn't take it out on the kids, but I would hold it together. But unfortunately, my partner experienced a lot of that wrath, which I have a lot of regrets about that, even though I now understand that it was more to do with my illness than uh, personality flaws. This forced me to ask for help. This forced me to well, to start speaking the truth about what I was really experiencing and that things weren't perfect and that, um, that I actually really did need help, more help and more support. And that's why one of my um, biggest advice would be one, surround yourself with community and uh, meaning a lot of people that are in the same space as you, like with kids that are your same age, because they just get it. They want to talk about potty training forever. They want to talk about foods forever. So you don't drive other folks um, to away. And, uh, but I also really recommend have being friends with people with older kids and even grandmothers, um, 
because when you're all in it together, you can all get fixated on things or you can't really help each other out because I knew that if I asked so-and-so to watch my kid, I would have to pay them back. Meanwhile, I just wanted a break and not to have to take care of anybody else's kids to pay them back. And so having people uh, at the church or grandmoms that would help and or people with older kids that I could ask, is this normal? Um, which was really, really helpful. Joined a gym and even though I don't like to work out, but you could um, put your kids in childcare. So I went to the gym So and I would just sit on the bike. I barely pedaled. I pedaled a little bit, but mostly read my book so that I could have that time. I joined like every lady's Bible study that there was childcare at the church. So find, if you don't have people, find things like that. Um, and if not, you can exchange those times with other people. But I just... Uh, those got me through the days, just having those little breaks to myself, having my body to myself, not touching, you know, kids hanging off me. Um, and my second daughter didn't sleep until she was 15 months old. So that was very hard. Um, she was lovely in the night, but up in the night. I'm curious if she thought that was our only time alone, but we followed through with our plan with the French immersion. Um, my dad speaks French, so we really wanted that for our kids and um, yeah, switch gears into the um, school age stuff. I was now as stable as I could be and the medicine um, was working and it was, I wasn't depressed anymore. No major depressions um, for a very long time, actually. I still experienced hypomania, but like so muted and so much more manageable. And of course, it would pop up here and there where I wasn't managing well, but, um, you know, it was just, I felt like I could breathe and actually, you know, look for strategies to help or take a moment um, before reacting to things. The medicine would take care of a lot of the symptoms that were um, keeping me from being able to even think straight. I still fought with the perfectionist mom. I love school because like I'm a teacher so I got involved with anything and everything I became the fundraiser committee I probably raised the most money doing a carnival or this I would just do things like that and sometimes to the detriment of my kids because I would be taking all this time to do these planning meetings that I wouldn't be hanging out with them right and one of my daughters really um, struggled in school and that was really hard for me that my that she hated school and never, even though she loved books when she was little, as soon as their school was just pressure and she didn't, um, we now know she has learning difficulties and diagnosed with ADHD. And so it was really hard for her and we didn't know because of the French. And so I, I kind of knew something was up, but I, they just kept telling me, oh, it's because of the French. She'll eventually be able to read. So she was, it was very difficult. She had a lot of um, tantrums and just uh, raising a neuro atypical child. When yourself are dealing with things, it's a lot. I, um, yeah, I read everything I could and tried to do everything I could, but a lot of times because we were similar and she would, like we would trigger each other that we would, um, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. Um, you know, when they were littler, they would be cute and you could like, they would do little things that would upset you and you would get over it really quickly. But 
it um the way she deals with her anxiety is she is mad and mean and so when a kid cries when they're frustrated or upset you feel sorry for them when they're yelling at you it's harder so that would I could be thrown into tizzies about that and I would have to hide in my room and pass it off to my husband and those so those were some hard years and especially finding out that she struggled with anxiety and ADHD and um, uh, dyslexia because I thought that all of this must be my fault. It must come from my family because I have a bipolar, you know, and, you know, always wondering if, you know, if people find out, are the parents going to not let them come to our house if they find out? And so I kept it a very on wraps secret. One of my kids really struggled with friendships and I... I wish I could have been more chill about that. I was the opposite of the people that think their kids can do no wrong. I was always like, uh, you know, drilling her what was her part in things. And I was always thinking maybe it was all our fault or what we're doing. And I just spent so much time. I started little groups with the girls that weren't getting along. And she was just always really drawn to the drama throughout all of school and I would stress I felt like everyone had to like her and like us and so I it was hard I feel like I was really hard on her and I think I did my best and I think if I really look back I did like a kick-ass job for what I was dealing with yeah I overcommitted to things which didn't leave all my best energy for everyone else in my family so I would show up and I would do these amazing things for other people um, you know, or spend all this time planning things. I remember the last carnival I did, um, when my daughter or my second daughter was in grade five, she didn't even want to go. Okay. I spent five months planning this like full on school carnival for a school of 300 kids. And she didn't want to go. She went, but I was like, I was like, you are going after all I did, you know, all that kind of stuff that you regret saying, but I forced her to go to the carnival. I, um, I think too, I probably passed on a lot of things about what people thought I have made up for it in the past years, but still sometimes, um, just what they wore and everything had to be, you know, a certain, you know, the way I hated it when it didn't go and now like I'm getting kicked in the butt with this whole sweatpants or in thing and socks and sandals is killing me but like if things didn't feel right then um yeah then I was was uncomfortable so that would be another thing I would definitely probably if I had time benefited from some therapy uh, around that and around my expectations and I think probably I helicopter parented a bit in terms of just not wanting, um, when it came to friendships or school, I just wanted to fix everything and everything be perfect. And lately I've learned of a term from my therapist that's now in my teen years that, that she mentioned that maybe, maybe I do, um, because I don't fix everything now, but uh, she calls it snowplow parenting, where I just kind of move a lot of the obstacles out of the way and any uh, like kind of think ahead, think ahead like we do, right? Always thinking ahead, um, push things out of the way that maybe they need to deal with. And so, yeah.
working on the snowplot parenting. But as they got older, um, you know, like I could influence them and I could dress them and I could do this. But as they got more and more independent, um, yeah, it really stressed me out. I, uh, from 12 onwards, I just would feel like a failure on the daily. I was so hard on myself. I live in this space where I always think, even now, that there's a certain way to do things and I'm not doing it and I'm failing. I even think that like about, I was thinking about the other day, like about podcasting. I only put out two a month and I don't do it on a special day. So clearly I'm not a true podcaster. Hello. If you have a podcast, guess what? You're a podcaster. I thought that about studying, about motherhood, just about everything. And I know when I got hypomanic, I would you know, do things like we're going to eat all organic and I throw everything out and go on the organic kick or, you know, just, uh, buy things that I organization, I got, would get a lot of focus on organization. I would buy things that, you know, we're just going to change our life. And I would buy a lot of them, spend a lot of money. Um, but because it was hypomania, it wouldn't put us into deep trouble. But sometimes I think if I saved all the money and where I bought stupid things that I thought was going to make our life better, that, I may own a second property. <laughs> I think that my biggest, it was almost harder to parent when, not going to say that, I was going to say when I was hypomanic, but I felt like maybe I wasn't because I was so hard, um, you know, on looking like we were, uh perfect and that everything you know being hard on them about like dance I remember trying to do their hair and making them cry not meanly but they didn't like their hair done a certain way and one of the teachers at this class made like fun of our bun because it wasn't perfect it was too wispy do you see our hair it was supposed to be in a slick bun it was like impossible so I would make them sit there as I did this and uh yeah lots of caring what people th thought when I should have just been like to the teacher like this is our hair we're trying our best here right so I and if friends needed me I would you know I put friends uh, up and being kind to friends uh before being kind to like my partner or my mom so you know asking for help because my mom could take time off and she would come um, my husband used to travel for work, uh, especially in the fall. And so we would always set up that she would come and that was so helpful. She would just um, take over playing with the kids so I could do the house stuff. But yeah, I just remember um, being really hard on her. So some of the conflicts or sometimes when, you know, the, the preteen years and just the arguments and the fighting or trying to convince them to, I remember... I fought tooth and nail for them to stay in dance and gymnastics. Who cares? Who cares? I felt like there was something wrong with us that our kids didn't like sports. I don't like sports. I felt like they had to be in something or they couldn't quit anything. Meanwhile, um, they started to hate dance and they did cheer um, after a while. And now I'm finding it. I think this is probably one of the hardest stages is launching young belts. Um, I know as they became teenagers and with phones before, it's like if they make a mistake, it's like, oh, you know, easily fixable or they learn from their mistake or whatever. But the stakes seem huge as uh, preteens and teens. Like, 
you know, if they do something stupid online, it's there forever. If, you know, you can make huge mistakes and things that could change the trajectory of your life. And so there's a lot of arguing and um, headbutting, especially with one specific um, daughter that is too similar to me. <laughs> and so a lot of people say, hey, like you must be an awesome parent because you get it and you get the mental health thing. And on one hand, yes, but on the other, it's very hard to teach your children strategies that you struggle with yourself. But I think one of another one of um, my biggest tips or looking back would be to um, just be open and honest with your kids. I've told them since they were little in words that they understood in ways that they understood that, um, you know, all brains are different and, you know, mom struggles with this. And at this time I'm, I need to go and sleep because that's going to keep my brain healthy. And we always talked about it. So my kids are so open and, you know, both do struggle with their mental health and, but they know, they know the things. And they also, I try to model um, things in front of them. I model, Hey, like I need to go and actually read by myself or I need this time teaching them how to self-soothe. Yeah, just how important play is and fun. Like we try and do things um, that are fun. Now I call them forced family fun because they don't really like anything anymore <laughs> to do like the walks and stuff that we used to do. But I try and be, you know, lenient about the want to come to things or not because I would make them go to any everything that I wanted to go to that we felt we needed to so I think um yeah being just really really honest and modeling for your kids when you mess up you say sorry you try to make amends and you talk about you know what you can do so that it doesn't happen again and even though sometimes it's over and over and over again um you know, my kids know that you just keep trying. And we also talk a lot about toxic positivity and we don't use words like at least because anything that starts with at least minimizes what someone's feeling, right? Like at least so-and-so or you don't have it this bad and we don't do good vibes only. We do all vibes welcome. And I've tried to let my kids feel their feelings. It is hard. It is hard. Uh, you want to just fix the things. It's hard to see their heartbreak and... Um, letting them make their mistakes right and not feeling my big thing is not I've had to work on a lot not feeling like their mistakes are a direct reflection of who I am and my parenting that one's a tough one um get hypomanic the and when I get anxious I get more um rigid and I get I try to control, 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 which backfires, especially with teenagers, right? So also tween, our, their tween years were through um, the pandemic. So holding it together, my fear, um, and holding space for theirs and not making theirs work. I notice that I say I'm anxious about a lot of things. So I try to give more language to it instead of just that. So they don't just, you know, I talk about how, you know, I you know, I'm worried about this, but yet this is what I can do or something like that. Um, that reminds me of something when I, my kids were really, really little, even 
you know, let me go camping or whatever before pre-diagnosis, I would have backup plan upon backup plan upon backup plan and um, have all the stuff we need. That's why I travel with a kajillion bag. Strollers were awesome for me because you can bring so much stuff. And then if something went wrong or I didn't have like the burp cloth I needed or the proper change of clothes or whatever, um, I would berate myself and um, just be so hard on myself. So have people in your life or a therapist to remind you um, to give yourself grace. I I tell my kids and I tell myself like, I've never done this before. This is the first time I've had a teenager or a young adult. And so um, I'm learning as I go and that didn't work. And so let's try something new. And we have a lot of do-overs in our family. If we start the day wrong or if we get into a head-on, you know, argument, um, we say, hey, can I have a do-over? Because I am very reactive and um, I have very strong opinions about a lot of things. And then two hours later, I actually don't. But in that moment, the urgency, the bipolar anxiety um, makes it a, a big deal. So there's a lot of apology tours, mummy apology tours around here. Um, I think uh, another thing is when I... Um, I'm feeling an episode come on, whether it be depression or especially if I'm um, hypomanic, I prep by making things easy. So I do things, I clear off um, things on our plate that aren't immediate, right? Maybe things that I usually do all the time, but they aren't necessary and just focus on, you know, the things that are and especially um I I wish I could be one of those people that stress cleaned or stress cooked, but I hate those things and I hate them even more. And I get bitter about it and um, frustrated that people have to eat so much around here. And so I, um, I make things easy. I buy, you know, like uh, frozen pizzas, frozen lasagnas, just easy, easy meals so that... Um, so that I don't have to think too much about that, but then I can keep um, feeding people and that we don't just have cereal or popcorn for dinner. I also ask my husband to step in a bit more. He works till late, so we've kind of decided that I make most of the dinners, but on weekends or the nights that he can or prep, um, I'll say, you know, this is where I'm at. I'm going to need extra help. And then he tries his best. He was, I'm very lucky to have such a um, hands-on helpful partner. I don't think I would have got through a lot of this or been well uh, as well as I am without him because he yeah, would take over um, when I was depressed and he would get home. He knew that I would need that time and I would just go to my bed for a while and he would just boom, jump right in. And so, um, you know, that's, that's helpful. I try to do um, connect with the kids with something um, I've learned that they like, which isn't as fun now. Actually, it's getting kind of fun because they want like Starbucks and stuff. It's just like, getting expensive now, but something that they choose that they want to do. Um, and I try, or I try to give them a couple choices when they were little and I wanted to do all of them. So no matter what they chose, they had the control, but that I also liked it. So I really focused on, yeah, maybe I'm not, the, our meals aren't elaborate or big, you know, fancy, but I can play Barbies for two hours or I can come up with a really fun craft or that kind of thing. So 
trying to do that. Another thing is, you know, I always feel bad because I'm so intense. I'm like, oh, we don't have like a peaceful and zen and spot-like home. And I learned that, you know, just to play spa-like peaceful music I find that if you have things in the background of how you want to feel even if you don't feel it you're setting the stage for something so we play a lot of music in our house calming music now not so much now it's mostly T-Swift and other things um, when I needed to listen to the hardcore angry get it all out music it was mostly with me in my car um, that's one thing you can do if you don't you know have a lot of money we talk about self-care but when you're stay-at-home mom, um, or what I like to say, CEO of the family, you don't have a lot of money left over or time for a lot of self-care. So like driving for me, listening to audiobooks and podcasts, especially during the pandemic or times when they're home a lot, need that time. And so, so I do that and I do some of my hysterical crying, not so much in front of them, but in cul-de-sacs. Or when they're in school. The biggest thing is, and it's going to sound so cheesy to some, but finding a way to talk kindly to myself and finding a way to, you know, not hold on to where I think I messed up, right? Because I can do, you know, two months of pretty good parenting. and But I'll remember the two times I yelled or lost it or whatever. That's been harder as they become teens because the listening isn't, and I feel like, in my family, it was always like the louder person was listened to. So we are yellers. We don't scream, but we are very loud. And so I'm always working on that. Being kind to yourself and reminding yourself that some of the things are actual symptoms, right? Like I always braid my character or who I am. Like you're an angry, terrible person. And I'm not. A symptom of it is anger. Uh, it's my duty to try and manage that best I can and not just give into it and be really nasty. But at the same time, it isn't like a moral failure. So um, being kind and, and gentle to myself, that same thing. I have friends with kids that are older and kids that are younger. So we can like just have those conversations and I can encourage ones with the younger and they can the ones with older kids can tell me like I will get through and also surrounding myself with not toxically positive people that listen and like that is hard and don't try and fix it right all that holding space we have a really good episode on that words that help also if you're wondering what doesn't help words that hurt those episodes I think they're 14 or 15 episodes and you can look back, but listening to my body. So I do let myself have rest and naps when I need them. I do sleep in on the weekends. I need more sleep than the average person. And I am okay with that now. For years, I fought with, I'm lazy, or I should be getting up at seven on Saturday and doing this and that. And I did put in my time when they were in dance and stuff, but if I don't have to, I don't have to. And now, we go to it's a whole other podcast but we don't we went to a very fundamentalist strict evangelical church for a long time and love the people but 
for many reasons we have to leave. So we have a super chill, non-denominational, affirming, to awesome seeker trying to figure out uh, folks. Um, so we would have never missed a Sunday, even if none of us, like unless we were like sick, sick. And now, you know, we don't force ourselves if we don't, we listen to our bodies, we listen to how we're feeling. I don't force myself to go and be fake and, and have a lot better boundaries because that's showing up for people you know that aren't that I'm not the closest with more than showing up if that's affecting how I'm showing up for my closest friends and and my family unit um then I have to set a boundary there because I want my family to have the best of me so that's another one, um, self-care and kindness. And also, despite how much I hate the exercise, moving, moving my body. Um, it's helped so much since we've had a dog because basically I got the dog because my kids weren't as excited to see me. I needed someone that was ridiculously excited to see me. But now, um, you know, I feel bad if I don't go for a walk. But just moving my body in some way, even if it's like to the end of the cul-de-sac or even if it's just, um, yeah, I, and I don't like to exercise alone. I'm much better at it now because I have to, because of my back injury, but I try and set up. Um, so it's not so expensive going out with friends for dinner or for brunch or for this, I'll set up walks so that it's two birds with one stone and I can walk forever and up hills if I'm chatting with a friend. So I I try to do that. I have to I have to move my body and I also have to have like pre-made snacks or snacks in the car. And as soon as the kids went to school, like I was used to eating lunch and used to eating things because I had to feed them. So I ate, but once they went to school and I didn't, um, if I would get hypomanic, it would be awful. I wouldn't eat and that doesn't help with the old moods. And so I have car snacks and yeah, everywhere purse snacks with which are things that are like like healthy ones um yeah and I'm kind to myself I used to stress about holidays and not be able to enjoy myself because worried about food and such and I didn't want my kids to grow up with um, disordered eating or thinking um about our bodies as I let that go and I think it was a lot of mental work and also I um, it was never diagnosed with an eating disorder because it wasn't year round. It was a symptom of the depression. And so if I find those thoughts creeping in and I deal with them, I never call myself large or I'm really mean. The one thing I'm not doing that well on is talking about aging. I need to, we've been talking about how, you know, society, the pressures for women and, but also that, the choices that we make right like I have I'm, I'm so gray you know my hair but I'm not gonna stop dying it yet and that's a choice right but like I try not to go on and on about wrinkles etc because I want them to have a healthy image honestly if you can get to a place where you think you can are managing your bipolar disorder I think we can be wonderful parents um I am fully engaged with my children I love this idea of, of and I've read about it in my friend that studied you know um, a lot about children and psychology it, you need to be uh, you know a good parent 70% of the time right I want a mug that says world's okayest mom because um, they're going to remember that 
obviously the 30% you can't be horrible um but if you make some mistakes and such your kids are are going to be okay cuz the 100% was just too much and so i think i hope i haven't messed up too much i will start a therapy fund i you know my kids go some of them go to counseling um we're just very open about that and it's really cool because my one daughter last year grade 9 i think 10 whatever one of the years she I found out after she was doing a project on bipolar disorder and then she when she told me then she interviewed me and she presented it and she didn't care and she was like 15 14 and she's telling all her friends that her mom lives with bipolar disorder without a blink I can hear her say oh I you know when they say oh I can't I'm going to therapy or counseling or whatever and they're not ashamed the next generation it's so um they're growing up with so much less stigma we have a long way to go but i think that we can raise some of the most empathetic and compassionate um children because they see uh, struggle and they see adversity and how we deal with it and i think we need to have a plan if you want to be a parent you need to have a plan what do you do if you get depressed what do you do what are your warning signs just being so self-aware so that you can try and manage it and best you can and if not you need to know when you need to remove yourself or look into more medication or you know get more therapy etc because it is a lot it's the hardest job i've ever done um but also the most rewarding so i think that um yeah i think that we can do hard things and i think that um if we're using our tools and doing all the things to keep well that we can be awesome parents or world's okayest parents which is good enough right they're gonna remember um the good things and we're gonna mess up and like just like our parents did we're gonna do things that you know messed up our kids a bit um but not giant trauma right living with um a parent with mental illness um is only traumatic if they're not staying well or keeping care of themselves or doing all they can i mean if you are struggling and you know that you're affecting your children in terrible ways then you go to the hospital you do the things you put them first when it comes to you know protecting their peace uh but yeah modeling taking care of yourself is i think one of the most powerful things right they don't do what we say they watch what we do and do what we do and so yeah that's kind of i hope that's helpful um i would love to you to go on the instagram and ask me anything i'm always up for it um yeah and i'll probably do one just on teenagers one day but i'm still muddling through that so um i'm just really glad that i can be i think that's the one thing with your friends and your family and your kids just to be honest about about where you're at and why you're there and then share them what you're going to do about it um I think that's that's pretty awesome my kids are so empathetic they know when I need an extra nap or they're you know they're can I do this for you sometimes I mean they're kids obviously not all the time but 
you know, I think they're pretty empathetic and towards others and they'll be like, and I think they have more grace for their friendships. They don't take things as personal. They try because they're like, maybe they're having a bad day or maybe they have this. And I know a lot of their friends have opened up about their mental health with my kids because they know it's a, a safe space. So before I go, just a reminder that with their subscriptions to go deeper on Instagram, if this episode meant anything to you or if you think it could help anyone else out, I would love if you liked it or saved it or subscribed to the podcast. All of those things help get this information and um, some real life experience out there um, to those that feel alone or are wondering, finding a community of other folks that and parents that deal with mental illness is is key as well because to know that we're not alone and to be able to encourage each other I think is a really beautiful thing please join us on the regular Instagram we have conversations we have all different kinds of days where there's we can interact with each other and encourage each other and then if you want to go deeper you can subscribe and support me and the work I do and we can keep smashing stigma together. So uh, winter, there will be the panel where we talk to parents with other experiences, um, parents that live with bipolar disorders. So this is bipolar. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find video versions of This Is Bipolar on our YouTube channel. We also have all our previous and soon-to-be future episodes of the podcast on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and Google Play. We spend most of our time on Instagram at this.is.bipolar. There is a vibrant community there where we have conversations and post different ideas and different strategies and we'd just love for you to join us there. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. If you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. This is bipolar.